Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world that we live in, that of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as my bride prefers, I say, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We have a great chat room, so Rav, tell us a little bit about it, please. Yep, the chat room is up and awake and raring to go. We're actually, um, we actually start uh, about five, ten minutes before we go on the air, and uh, then we can catch up with our thoughts on last week's show and stuff like that. It's a great chat room. It's at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Uh, great group of people in there, and uh, I would love to see you there, so come on in. All right, great. In today's spotlight, we turn our attention to the privacy of our minds. This past week, an article caught my attention titled, This Strange Phenomenon Allows Scientists to Control People's Daydreams. The article posted by Esther Inglis Arkel led with this paragraph, quote, Ever heard of the Perky Effect? It sounds cutesy-poo, but it's an effect that has led to a decades-long investigation that reveals a startling truth. If you don't consciously control your dreams, you probably think you control your daydreams. But that might not actually be true. Close quote. Now wait. If you don't consciously control what we daydream, who does? Certainly those daydreams cannot be controlled by others, can they? Well, the straightforward answer to that is, yes, they can. What is the Perky Effect? Simply stated, it refers to the process by which visual mental imagery is thought to interfere with visual perception. For example, if a person is instructed to imagine seeing an apple or a banana or some other object on a white screen, to mentally project it while a faint image of the apple or object is actually projected on the screen, the person is unable to distinguish the difference between the real projected image and the imagined one. Now, this neat little discovery was made by Chivas Perky during her pioneering research in 1910. So how important is this finding, and in what way can it be used to manage one's daydreams, or more? There are actually two types of phenomena inherent to the Perky effect. The first is that reinforced by the visual aspect. For example, seeing an apple as a result of a faint projection and being totally convinced that the apple is actually one you're projecting mentally. The second is the auditory aspect. Using white noise in the background, subjects are asked to imagine a tone. Of course, the tone is added softly, and once again, subjects are unable to distinguish the real tone from the imagined one. Now, here's something else. This research has shown us that so long as you stay within certain boundaries, you can put an image or sound before a subject and they will not notice it, at least consciously, but they will nevertheless process it. The chosen stimulus can then be used as a prime, leading the subject to think, even daydream, about the stimulus. Quoting Esther Inglis Arkell again, quote, 
the right image can worm its way into a subject's mind and change what they're seeing. Granted, the orientation of a banana isn't exactly inception, but it is a way to control what people are thinking. The external world makes it into the world of the mind without the mind ever realizing it. One study showed that people will sometimes fold images into their reveries, even when those images don't fit with what they're picturing. A psychologist tried asking people to picture the New York skyline. While they were thinking about it, she projected the faint image of a tomato on the screen in front of them. Many people saw the New York skyline at sunset. When we see something unusual in our daydreams, we make it work, even if we don't know we're seeing it. Close quote. I am so reminded of my books, Choices and Illusion and Mind Programming, and the early subliminal work of Dr. Potzell, who showed us that subliminal information was often incorporated into our dreams, and the work of Dr. Dunham and the use of whisper technology in his medical clinics to coach patients to wellness while they slept. Why shouldn't I be? After all, this sort of thing all comes under the label of subliminal information processing. So here's the deal. Imagine that we have a politician who, like Bush and Obama, employs a special team with the expertise to employ all the toys and technology that we know can be used to manipulate the minds of many. Let's say we have a conservative candidate running, and we could just as well do this for a liberal or, for that matter, for a centrist or independent candidate, but for our little quickie scenario today, let's use a conservative. <clears throat> We're going to put him or her out on the road in rallies everywhere we can, just as we saw done with Barack Obama. We'll use some NLP. NLP can be a covert way in which one gains the trust and consent of another and was originally designed by Milton Erickson for therapeutic purposes. Conversational hypnosis merges the tools of NLP with hypnosis to induce an altered state in an audience, trance, if you will, to pace and lead, anchor and bypass, reprogram responses, accomplish an emotion transference, hide secondary meanings, and create suggestions that work like post-hypnotic cues. Now, we'll train our candidate to give presentations with controlled factors in mind, such as their use of a particular word count per minute, their tone and inflection, their hand engagement, the elevated podium that tips the head of the audience slightly upward, often leading to eye flutter and even closure, and so forth. Now, we'll carefully choose the background setting and we'll use whenever possible a large white screen to move pictures of our candidate, his family, the American flag, the scales of justice, and so forth. All the while, we will use a candle-what difference to simultaneously employ subliminal content. We use images of our candidate being sworn in and crouch cheering his election that will be timed with statements such as, when I'm president, I will reduce government spending abroad and bring the money home to you. 
Now, as a conservative candidate who wishes to sway moderates and even some liberals, we'll use primes wherever and whenever we can. Primes proven to unconsciously persuade liberals to move in the direction of a more conservative attitude. So instead of water on the table near our candidate, we'll have a jar of hand sanitizer and so forth. You get the picture by now. This sort of political savvy goes on today. The perky effect, together with all the other tools and toys available to surreptitiously manipulate you, have been developed as a result of years and years of research and billions and billions of dollars dedicated to just this purpose. Now, just how consciously do you think your decision might be? What's more, we know from our compliance principles that once you make a decision, you will defend and defend it again and again as though to recognize a mistake was unforgivable. That's the final hook, because you'll refuse to let go. It would seem that our minds are no longer so private. Indeed, perhaps they are better understood by others than by ourselves. And a late-breaking flash... Just a few moments ago, I read a brand new study. We now can use your P300 waves to determine if you've seen something before. We'll use this maybe in law enforcement investigations. And we may ask you a relevant question and watch that P300 tell on you. Well, there you have it. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? You know, what I find really fascinating is how your mind works. Um, you know, I heard about the, the research, the perky effect, and, you know, I saw that and thought, that's interesting, and didn't really connect the dots in the way that you have, the way that it could be used. And the fact is, this stuff does get used all the time. Um, you know, uh, President Obama did have a dream team of people. We do know Elite George... social psychologists that we did... George Bush, you know, use subliminals in his. So there are people out there who are collating all of this information and bringing it all together. And I think we need you to show us how some of these dots connect and what what can be done with it. Because it wouldn't have occurred to me when I read the research on the Perky stuff. You know, just quite what well, the ramifications there, there are could be. Many minds out there that look at all these things as to how they can be used to influence a person without their knowledge. So that you will make a choice. It will be your decision. You will swear up and down that it's your decision. You'll defend it. You'll come up with reasons, rationalizations for why. But the bottom line is, you were marched there just like the Pied Piper leading well. All right. Anyway, every week I read some of your letters as our way of recognizing the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week, our guest was Dr. John L. Turner, and we discussed his journey as a classically trained brain surgeon into the spiritual worlds of life and healing. Tom wrote, great show. Enid wrote, I heard you and Dr. Turner challenge the credibility of Dr. Evan Alexander. Whatever he was as a physician doesn't mean that he's not a changed man after his NDE. Richard wrote, thank you for asking about Eben Alexander. He was very thoroughly discredited in a very good article. Jennifer commented, I am enjoying Dr. Turner's story. CB remarked, 
very sobering show for me. Ray wrote, Sir, I heard your two interviews on Red Ice Radio. It was fantastic. Told my sister. Thought she could benefit as well from the Intertalk programs. The music is beautiful. The person that I placed my order with was so helpful and kind. Also, she had a slight English accent that was so pretty. Dr. Taylor, I believe the Lord spared your life on that train track so long ago because of the blessings you are and have been to so many. Just want to say thank you, sir, for all the work, the months and years of study to create products to help so many hurting people. Well, thank you, Ray. I I mean, I'm truly honored by your remarks. Uh, Ravinder, since you're the only one in the office uh, with that English accent, you must have been who Ray spoke with. You like getting letters like this, don't you? I do. I really do. But you know what? Our people can pick up an English accent, too, just from talking to me all the time. I've certainly heard some of that, so. But, but I'll take the I'll take the compliment that yeah that that is cool. I like okay. that. Robin wrote, I keep seeing posts, and I thought of a show you had a few years back. They keep advertising why the law of attraction doesn't work, the missing secret, and yet in your show you address that and also about action. If I remember right, you talked about selling or how each position job you had led you to each new step. Not sure why it came up, but it did. You have made a great impact on my life and the expansion of it, especially when I refer back to you and your shows so often. That is proof. Thank you, Eldon. Well, thank you, Robin. I sincerely appreciate your words. You know, to that end, Ravinder's newsletter article this week addressed an important aspect of this that I'll share with you now. Uh, As she states in her newsletter, one of the most asked questions our staff handles today goes like this. What is the best program for prosperity? As Ravinder says, this could be easily answered by simply recommending ultra prosperity or, you know, prosperity now. However, and here, allow me to quote from her letter, quote, what you must always remember is that inner talk works by priming your self-talk. So if there is a subconscious belief that is keeping prosperity away from you, then prosperity and abundance could be the perfect program for you. But there are lots of other factors that need to be considered. While I do believe in prosperity thinking, I tend to think this is pretty useless when there is no action behind it. I once had a not-so-potential customer call in and ask me about a program for increasing prosperity. But when I went through my list of questions, which I will share with you in just a moment, she quickly jumped in and said, No! She did not want to work for the prosperity. She was in sales, but she did not want techniques on how to improve her sales ability. Rather, she wanted a program that would bring sales to her without any effort. As she described her desires, I could picture her sitting at her desk, looking at the phone, willing it, ringing off the hook with people wanting to give her money. (laughs) Quite frankly, I have never heard of this happening. As I said, I am a strong believer in putting action behind your desires. For as the saying goes, God helps those who help themselves. As such, when I asked about a program for prosperity, I always asked this question. What do you think you need to do to become more prosperous? And then to assist the thinking process, I asked follow-up questions such as, Do you need more education so you can get a better job? Do you need to be more assertive so you can ask your boss for a raise? Do you need to manage money better so you hold on to more? Do you need to plan your work better so that you're more productive? Do you need to improve your sales techniques? 
do you need to handle stress better so that it doesn't interfere with your ability to make money? Do you need to stop just therapeutic shopping? Do you need to create a better impression uh, of either for your boss or with a prospective employer so that you can get noticed and either promoted or hired? Do you need to improve your leadership skills? And on and on and on. Now, close quote. That was all Ravinder's letter. I want you to think about Think about that for a minute. Where would you go first if you wanted to improve something in your life? Nice letter, by the way, Rav. And everybody out there, you should subscribe. You know, our newsletter is absolutely free. Just go to intertalk.com and, and subscribe, or eldentaylor.com. All right, Bernie wrote, I have been listening to some archive shows, great stuff. On one of them, you made the comment that the subconscious mind makes a decision before the conscious mind. That is a great insight. Well, it's an all-important one for sure, Bernie. That's why it's so critical to be the one programming your own mind instead of the program by others. I, I, I think of it as a responsible cognitive self-engineering effort. And in that sense, we must all become cognitive engineers. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com or by joining me on Facebook. Now to this week's show. The Hell I Can't with Terry McBride. We have spoken with many healthcare professionals on this show about the power to heal ourselves. In my New York Times bestseller, Choices and Illusions, I emphasize the power of belief when it comes to our health and longevity and pointed out how these beliefs are a matter of choice. Today, we will speak with a man who did just that. He made a choice that involved defying mainstream medicine on his road to wellness. So let me tell you a little bit about him. Terry McBride is a teacher whose story of creating health in the face of seemingly impossible odds has inspired thousands of people. His speeches, seminars, and published works all focus on the wonder and magnificent of the human condition and how we can use choice to demonstrate that. His works all have the same central theme. People have unlimited abilities that can be realized through conscious choice. His message in knowing wasn't developed from the comfort of an armchair. No, indeed, from his early 20s to his mid-30s, he had 27 major surgeries on his spine and abdomen. His doctors told him the infection in his spine was not curable. And the best he could hope for was to live within his human limitations with a colostomy and the inevitability of significant permanent disability. Terry decided to fight that prognosis, and through his study and practice of choice, he created perfect health where there seemed only disease. Terry tells his story in the inspirational book, The Hell I Can't. I like that title, The Hell I Can't. We'll learn more about why that title in just a moment. So on that, let's get him in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Mr. Terry McBride. Hi, Eldon. What a thrill to be with you today. Well, it's our thrill. We're glad to have you join us. You know, look, we generally like to get at least three objectives accomplished with our guests, Terry. Uh, those are, you know, who is the messenger, what is the message, 
and how do we use it? So to begin, please tell us a little bit about your background. What was it like for you when you went to school? I mean, were you popular? What was your childhood like? How did you get on with your family and so forth? Well, my dad was killed when I was a couple days old in the Second World War. So I grew up with just mom. She was a widow, although she was over time married five different times, including my, you know, my dad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what mom gave Jerry and I, and my brother got diabetes when he was five years old in 1947, and you know he's going to be 74 years old. He's still playing golf, and she gave us and instilled in us the ability that you didn't have to buy into what everybody else said. You could believe in your dreams. Now, as I moved through my life, because this is working with therapists over the years, because of me looking like my dad and the death of him right when I was born, mom tended to be a little overprotective. Uh, Some of the therapists have used the word smothering. So when I went to, uh, you know, I was a pretty angry young man when I was little, you know, and going up through school. Sure. Sure. Uh, they, uh, mom talking with the other counselors sent me to a private school in Canada when I was in the 10th grade, a military school. What a shock for a, you know, an angry young guy from the U.S. to go up into a military school that was sort of English. So I had the beating record, most hacks in one year for discipline. I had, the, I mean, I was just like that. I was a mess. Came back, graduated from high school in the States, went and lived with my Uncle Larry for a couple of years and dug ditches. After high school, I thought that might motivate me to study a little more in college. Vietnam started. If you weren't in college, if you were in college, you got a deferment. And I thought, well, might be a good time to start college. Then my girlfriend and I got pregnant, had my first baby, was, you know, just trying to figure out what the hell was going on, hurt my back. A year later, had a spinal fusion when I was 23. During surgery, the spine got infected with E. coli bacteria. Mm-hmm. And over the next year, I had four other surgeries to cut out this infection. After the last one, my orthopedic surgeon said, look, this it's continuing to spread. You need more than one primary care physician. He referred me to the University of Washington Medical Center. And still at this time, I was expecting everybody else to fix me. Went in there, they did some tests, came in and said, look, this infection is spread into your pelvic area. It's in your abdomen. It's followed both your sciatic nerves into your thighs. We're pretty sure the E. coli is eating holes in your colon, so the germs are communicating back and forth. And this this has now become life-threatening. And in the book... Uh, what they said was, uh, we have to go in and cut all this out of your body. So we're going to start from the front and open you from as low as we can go down in your pelvic area, up around your belly button, up towards your sternum. We're going to open all that up, cut out all the infected tissue, separate your organs out of the way, and then we'll chisel and scrape the infection out of your spine. Then they said, we're going to roll you over, and your orthopedic surgeon's going to start. As low as they go down between your buttocks, they're going to come up mid-back, open all that up, cut out all the infected tissue, chisel and scrape the infection out of your spine. 
they went into a lot more detail. Then two teams of surgeons are going to start at your belt line, open up both your buttocks and follow your sciatic nerves into your thighs, run right on the, with that, we're going to tip you up on the end and come in between your scrotum and rectum and open all that up because the infection has completely engulfed the lower end of your spinal column. When he got done, there were six of them in the room. This orthopedic surgeon from England, the head of Department of General Surgery, head of the Department of Infectious Disease, are three top residents. And he said, look, we're, we think we can stop this from spreading anymore when we do this debridement, but we're pretty sure you're going to lose the use of your left leg. And then he went on and said, there's a chance you're going to lose some of the mobility in your right leg. There's a good chance you're going to lose the control of your bowels and your bladder. Uh-huh. Okay, Terry, I'm going to ask you to hold it and right you, there. This, and you, Terry? And you may right. end up, yeah. Hold it right there. We've got a break that we have to go to, and I you know, I want to hear this entire story. I mean, right now you've got everybody on the edge of their seat. I mean, this is unbelievable. But we're speaking with Terry McBride about his encouraging book, The Hell I Can't. You can learn more about him and his work by visiting terrymcbride.net. Remember to join Ravinder and her team in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. You don't want to miss what's coming up after a few words from some of our friends. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With Intertalk, Elton Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. Intertalk works by priming how you talk to yourself, and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals, anything becomes possible. Visit www.intertalk.com to find your towel today. We were all ensconced in the incredibly mellifluous sounds of the waterless crystal music glasses. Now you can own this music for yourself. Bruce and Sandy Tweedy have created two wonderful CDs. Visit their site and get your copies today. Just go to brucetweedy.com. That's B-R-U-C-E-T-W-E-E-D-Y.com. Brucetweedy.com. If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives at our site, ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, heart scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. The way in is the way out. Change the way you talk to yourself and you change your expectation. Change your expectation and you change your reality. Inner Talk does just that. Here's some of what one customer had to say about the power they gained as a result of using Inner Talk. 
Lisa wrote, To all you skeptics, these subliminal programs actually work. This past Christmas, I gifted myself the following programs, Prosperity, Money Management, and Luck. I listened to the Prosperity and Money Management CDs on alternate days on continuous loop at home and while sleeping. The Lux CD I listen to every day at home, also on continuous loop. This is what has happened so far. I've had so many opportunities to work overtime. My union representative has told me that I was due two years back wages for shift differential slash premium that was due to me. I did not know I was due this. I have paid off my last debt. I am debt free. I have been consistently entering contests and sweepstakes. I have won a dinner for two at a casino hotel in Atlantic City, won a $100 gift card to The Gap, won $500 cash in a Pennsylvania lottery scratch-off ticket. I seem to get parking spaces when I need them, and I seem to always get good deals on things that I purchase. It does not matter what the item is. Oh, the UPS man just delivered a box of toys. I don't remember what contest I entered, but my nephew will get the toys for his birthday this summer. Please feel free to share my testimony. When you are ready to make changes in your life, inner talk awaits you. Whether you desire to increase prosperity, lose weight, end some addiction, improve your relationships, develop new skill sets, and so forth, Inner Talk is there to serve you. Check out over 300 titles today by going to innertalk.com. That's I N N E R T A L K.com. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or bto.net and or bbs.com. We want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor.
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Terry McBride about his life and book, The Hell I Can't. You can learn more about him and his work by visiting terrymcbride.net. Now, we ask our guests for up to three songs, music that has some special significance to them. For music does elicit memories, often calling on our emotions, and in very special ways... Our favorite music can say a lot about who we are. So now we just played You Never Walk Alone by Roy Hamilton. And I know you wanted Jim Neighbors, Terry, but my staff couldn't locate that one. So why is this music special to you, sir? And how does it tell us about whom you are? Can I finish what we just before we we finished? We were talking about the doctor. I want to go right back to that. I want to go right back to that. But tell me about this music first. When all this was going on, what I felt all alone, and and I felt that there was this incredible challenge in front of me, and I didn't know what I was supposed to do. Now, I grew up in a church. I wasn't as active as you were when I was young, but I believed in God. I believed in the teachings of Jesus, you know, that all things are possible. But what that song, You Never Walk Alone, I used to play it over and over and over, because what it said was, look, hold your head up when you're walking through this. Don't give up. You know, it, it tied in so many of the other things I was attempting to use to, to keep going in the middle of the storm with the promise, with the possibility that when this was over, there was, you know, a beautiful sunrise and the song of a dove. That, that's what that song represented to me. And it's like you, you said, it wasn't just an intellectual thing. As I listened to it and moved and let the music move me, I felt it inside. I was not alone. Cool, cool. I love that. Now, so we were before the break. Uh, you're going to lose the left leg and mobility in the right leg. Pick it up. I mean, that that's so graphic that people in the chat room are already commenting about you know, whoa. And, the, so. and they, cause the nerves are all spiderweb down there. So they said, when we go nerves are cleaning us out, there's a good possibility you're going to lose the use of your bowels and your bladder. And because we're coming in between the scrotum rectum like that and have to open all that up, there's a good chance you're going to end up sexually impotent. And, it, and, and I have to say this, these doctors were not being negative. As I, as one guy was talking, the, this orthopedic surgeon from England, I was watching these other guys. Some of them had tears in their eyes. Doctors take no pride in coming in and saying, sorry, we've reached the limits of our science. But that's what they were saying. When they left, the resident who had been with me for the two weeks of tests before they got these good x-rays sat on my bed with my wife and just held me. He didn't say anything. He just held me. And this was 50 years ago. And when I finally calmed down, he said, Terry, we don't know what's going to happen. We, we've never seen anything like this, but what we do know is you cannot expect to come out of this one whole. And as the next few days, as that just rolled around in my mind, my Uncle Larry, who was a good friend of my dad's, you know, before dad died, and then he was like my father image, and I worked with him when I worked construction. He sat down with me one night and he said, son, you're a man now. 
and there may come a time in your life when you have to fight. And he said, I'm not talking about a barroom fight or that kind of stuff. I'm talking about a real fight. And you may not know if you can win, but you will know when you have to stand and fight. And that's where the name of the book came from. With the doctor saying, you cannot expect to come out of this ordeal whole. My declaration was, the hell I can't. And that's where I started. Took a lot of courage, my friend. Took a lot of courage. Now, let me ask you this. Um, you had a lot of help. I mean, you had physicians there, and your book makes it clear that, that um, you know, a lot of that staff, uh, despite the, you know, formidable prognosis, they were supportive of you. How How important was their support? How much of this was, you know, Terry McBride and God? And how much was medicine? I mean, they're not really separable, are they? No, I don't think so at all. What what I in the beginning they were just doing the surgeries, doing what they, they thought, and when all those didn't work, they just start dropping off. And there's one point in the book where I talk about I went in because I was feeling pain in the front and. The chief of orthopedic surgery did a real cursory thing. He says, it's not my problem. Something else. It's not this infection because you have to see a real doctor. So I went to my real doctor. Anyway, went back and forth. Finally, that evening, I'm still in the hospital. Nobody has uh, is paying attention anymore. And Dr. Theodore Greenlee walked down the hall, saw me, sat down, put his arm around me. He said, what's going on? I said, nobody cares anymore. And he said, look, you represent a, a huge shot to these people. Every time you come in, you remind them they're not as good as they think they are. And he put his arm around me and he said, from now on, you're my patient and you will never be alone again. And then as the book moves along, he and I d- sort of decided some of the surgeries we were going to do, how we were going to do it, how we were going to use the antibiotics. And, and so I coupled my belief about medicine with my belief about what I needed to do. Because that's where I was at the time. You know, I didn't know as much as I know now. And, right. and because of that, then I was using all this power you talk about, the unconscious mind. I was using that to support what medicine was doing and how the antibiotics were working. And lo and behold, I created health where there appeared to be only disease. But it wasn't... Right. It, it takes more than just courage. I mean, you put action into this courage. So, I mean, let me ask you just a couple of quickies. You heard the setup piece, uh, the letter from Robin regarding the law of attraction and why it fails. Certainly you've heard of the secret if you've not read the book. Sure. Um, I, I have taken great exception to, well, I'll just leave that be. You believe that we can not only create our world, um, but... <laughs> You know, we have a, I'm going to call it co-creative power, right? Where does the law of attraction go wrong then, Terry? I think, listen, I got the newsletter yesterday. When you, when you, your (laughs) office contacted me several months ago about this interview, first thing I did was some, you know, going to give you my email address. I love it. Yesterday I got your, uh, the email, you know, uh, the newsletter. Revenders yeah. uh, Corner, it's called. Uh-huh. And right. I mean, I, re- I, I printed it out, underlined it, and then on the second or the last page it says, I'm sure you get the idea 
and can think of the most appropriate questions for yourself. She leads us back to what do you think? And then she says, pairing a prosperity mindset with the practical tools and techniques that give this positive thinking a way to manifest itself is by far and away the best route to prosperity. I underlined that, circled it, and moved down, and I put huge. That's, that's how what, you create that's what you reality. Did. That's what you did with health, is it not? You, you bet. I coupled what I thought was appropriate action with the what you consistently talk about is what do i need to change within me what what belief systems do i need to change to support this action and focus that i now have okay now let me ask you this and and you know if i go into an area it's too personal you know please just flag me off but uh <laughs> you know i uh I, my own perspective, um, the divine, however you may see that, um, you will just say God in the sense of grand organizing designer because people have all kinds of ideas about what God might be. It, I, I believe that the spiritual sense of our life is quintessential uh, to the maximization of ourselves in all areas of life. Uh, and, and definitely in, in areas of health and wellness. And I've had my own little issues where I've, you know, I've called on that. I'm I, reading your book. It's very, very clear that you strongly integrated your faith in, in, in a divine capacity within yourself and, of course, without, outside of yourself, something greater, something larger. Uh, a purpose that I, I guess that we could say that, that you know, relates, co-relates uh, the both of you. So my question is this. When you read The Secret, it is very secular. And, and of course, uh, Ravinder and I have had many conversations about absolutely you must put action into any of these things, you know, in order to manifest them. It's great to visualize, etc., but my point here is, how important do you think it is to incorporate the spiritual? I mean, for myself, I'll just, and I don't mean to take too much here, but, you know, whenever I'm doing some kind of a manifestation or attempting to, visualizing, wanting to, to bring something into my life, whether it's, you know, better health or, 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 you know, someone to my staff. It is always, I always turn it to something like this or something better according to divine will. So in other words, I may say, I want this, but then I'll always add the caveat, you know? And, and, and I guess my question then to you, Terry, very point blank is how important is spirituality in this whole manifestation, co-creation process? I think it is the starting place. Flesh that out for me. What do you mean? Well, all right, now, I think that's what Jesus was getting at when he said, know the truth and it sets you free. What's the truth? I think it, that's that we're a spiritual being having a human experience. But it's more than just a catchy little phrase. What, what, what allows... One to move from my perspective, what allows one to move into their life with the possibility that they can use these principles you're talking about to make the changes they want to make 
is the foundation that says I'm not my stuff. I'm not my past. I'm not my history. Now, when one owns that, that, uh, you know, uh, I'm a unique expression of the divine spark, whatever that is. Yeah. When, when one owns that, it allows the mind to let go of all the stuff I need to deal with my karmic debt. I'm the adult child of it, and I'm a product of it. It, it. it allows all the other labels to fall away. They still have limiting beliefs. They still may have old habit patterns that they didn't even choose. It just, you know, all that stuff you talk about. But they get to start from, I'm magnificent now. I'm a unique expression. That's what I think the spiritual teachings are talking about, the Old Testament, when it says, um, uh, what is that one? That you're the crowning achievement of the living God. The New Testament, where Jesus is talking about, know ye not your sons and daughters of the Most High. Right. There's, and, and it's in all the great faiths. I mean, you know, in the Buddhist philosophy, they talk about, don't do what Buddha says, become the Buddha. You know, it's this idea that you're not the things that happen to you. You're the jar. It's like you're the context This that holds all these marbles, your past, your beliefs, your attitudes, but that's not you. And when one begins... Now, I didn't know what that meant when I was sick, but there's a story when they sent me to see the psychiatrist, and he's reading all these letters and saying, this is what you can expect, and I said, I'm not my stuff. I'm not my history. I'm not my medical records. I'm not your guys' prognosis. And he said, well, who do you think you are? And I didn't know how to answer him. I mean, even if I did know how to answer him, I probably wouldn't have said, I think I'm God expressing uniquely as Jerry McBride. Because I was in the psych ward. <laughs> they had to give you a coat that ties in the back <laughs> if you do that. But that's what I was looking at. And see, that's one of the fundamental things you talk about throughout your, your website, throughout your trainings, throughout your books, where you talk about those. You talk about that the starting place is that spiritual aspect of you. And you allow people, call it what you figure out what it's called. You, you label it, but figure that out first. Because that, that identification, beginning to identify who you are as that, set you up to be free to be the creator of your life instead of just here to experience your life or instead of here to pay off your you know past stuff or instead of being here to you know live your sacred contract when you own who you are it allows you to become the creator of your life and then you get to the next question is what you say so what what things would you like to change what things would you like to experience where would you like to go? And when I started, when I really began to think I can use these principles, I didn't start to get well. I started, well, maybe I can use these so I won't cry myself to sleep. Mm. And that's what I love about you and your trainings. You know, as I read them, I haven't read all your books or listened to a whole bunch of, you know, your individual lessons, but there is this theme that runs through your material that says you're magnificent it's already done as you believe and you're free to start right where you are you meet people right where they are and 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 i think too many books write books from the top of the ladder looking down and your stuff meets people 
if they're at the bottom of the ladder looking up, you meet them there. And you teach them how to raise your visions. Let's, I, I, I've listened I to one, that. one of your tapes. And, sorry, I'm just singing your praises. No, that's great. No, I, and I appreciate it. I love it. But let's, let's, let's go back to your story. Let's go back to your book because okay. it's very, very powerful. And I love what you've done here. Um, you know, there are all sorts of books on self-healing out there, like Louise Hayes, Heal Your Life. And some of these works uh, suggest loving your body well, you know, so you touch mm-hmm. it and love your body. Uh, and I do that. You know, I had triple bypass surgery, and time to time I'll feel something, and I'll just put my hand over my heart to say, you know, I love your heart, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But they place a heavy-duty emphasis on prayer and religious practices, and best of my knowledge, I haven't heard of you know, uh, secular healings. Uh, so there might be something to that little jest intended there. And still others, you know, they, they, they believe that it's all about surrendering, uh, surrendering our ego and, and turning things over or laughing ourselves well. And, 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 and each of these books have, have an angle, have a, a, a way that they go. Now, one of the things that you reminded me of and what you were just talking about, is a comment that was sent to my producer by you or your staff. And let me quote that. Quote, I had a talk with a psychiatrist where I said, I'm reading these books and they say there is a part of me that's not sick. They say there is a part of me that's not afraid. And they say if I can get in touch with that part of me and really own that as who I am, from there, instead of facing reality, I can learn how to create reality. And he said... That's your ego talking. So tell us. I, th- I find that really, you know, laughable. But tell us, what's the role of ego in all of this? I think <clears throat> um, Carl Jung, you know, the guy who was about the same time as Freud, came up with a thing called archetypal models. Right. Cumulative belief systems have been around a long time. They just influence us, period. One of those is that there's an evil force within us. Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. All right. Freud was the guy that brought in the the word ego into the psychoanalytic model. Based on Freud, he says the mind is made up of three parts, the id, the ego, and the superego. And what the ego does is it's the conscious mediator between what happens and what is perceived as happening. In other words, your ego is the part of your mind that gathers information from the senses, compares it to stored data, and then based on the stored data, tells you what's going on. It's your ego that drives your car. You're not, we're not paying attention to the car. It's that part of the mind that's gathering information from the senses, comparing it to stored data, and it just drives your car. If something happens that you need to pay attention to, your ego steps in and says, oops, or somebody's, you know, that kind of thing. Now, that's, that's what Freud said the ego does. But there are still a lot of people that want to believe you got something evil within you. We won't allow them to call it Satan anymore. They just changed the name. Now we have a saboteur within us that's always trying to separate us from our good. Substitute the word Satan, and you got the same lie they've been telling you forever. We've got a small self that's always trying to... And then, of course, the biggest lie of all, that your ego is always trying to separate you from God. 
substitute the word Satan, and you have the same archetypal model about an evil force that's always been there. I don't mind. See, what I like about you is I don't mind having limiting beliefs. I don't mind having limiting habit patterns. But you and I teach how to get rid of those limiting beliefs, limiting habit patterns. So in how I, I think anybody who uses the word ego in a teaching sense loses their audience because you say it to 100 people and 100 people are thinking different stuff. So you when know, the psychiatrist... The bottom know. line, Terry, is you're absolutely right. The ego was never designed to be this bad dude hanging out inside of us. It is for all intent and purposes the ego, according to Freud, that balances the contest between the id and the superego. The perfect parent must do everything perfect, superego. The id, the primitive, instinctual desires, drives, if you will. So it's the ego that says, you know, look, you just can't fornicate with anybody and everybody. So I'll tell you what, we'll, let's come up with a plan. We'll, we'll have a sublimation action. We'll call it marriage. There you connect this out in a socially acceptable way. It's really the ego that plays that middle role. And mm-hmm. I totally concur with you that, and in fact, I love your model. It's better than anything I've ever said. The idea that, look, we just substitute Satan, and it's the same story being told in a new time, in a different way, but saying the same thing, and just as fictional today as it has ever been. Amen. Let me ask you something. we got about one minute before we go to a break, so this is just a quickie. I saw something come across my desk yesterday, and since we're talking about religion, I'll ask you about it. There was a new Pew poll um, that informed us 59% of the people polled were in favor of putting God back in politics, and only 37% felt that there was enough God in politics. What do you think? Is there enough religion and God in politics, uh, or do we need to be more sectarian in our nation? I think there's way too much religion and God in politics. I think it would be great if we brought some of the ideals of compassion and caring and, you know, caring for the poor, all that stuff in. But I think the organized dogma of religion in politics, just it's divisive. I totally concur. I also think it's abuse. We we don't really, we use, uh, you know, the word very often to win votes, not because we really mean it. All right. Uh, Again, if you would like to know more about Terry and his work and book, visit his website at terrymcbride.net or check out the links on provocativeenlightenment.com. It's a great book. It's a great read. Um, you know, and and again, I'm gonna. I, I suggest that you get on your hands on this one. All right, we have a film featuring Terry for you during the break. You can watch it in our chat room. So if you're not already there, now's the time to join in the fun. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. What is one thing you wish you could change about yourself? What if you could make that change happen with the click of a button? With Intertalk, Eldon Taylor's patented and scientifically proven and effective technology, change begins to happen the moment you hit play. 
Inner talk works by priming how you talk to yourself and when your inner self-talk aligns with your outer goals. Anything becomes possible. Visit www.innertalk.com to find your towel today. We were all ensconced in the incredibly mellifluous sounds of the waterless crystal music glasses. Now you can own this music for yourself. Bruce and Sandy Tweedy have created two wonderful CDs. Visit their site and get your copies today. Just go to brucetweedy.com. That's B-R-U-C-E-T-W-E-E-D-Y.com. Brucetweedy.com. If you're new to this show, you may enjoy our archives. You can find more than five years of archives at our site, ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. During that time, we have interviewed Hollywood greats, politicians, psychics, CIA personnel, hard scientists, religious leaders, skeptics, mathematicians, philosophers, social psychologists, best-selling authors, channels, mediums, and more. We have charted the waters of health and wellness, parapsychology, psychic phenomena, UFOs, NDEs, physics, psychology, criminology, neuromarketing, brainwashing, and still more. If any of that sounds like your kind of radio, check out our archives again at ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. Be sure to subscribe to our free newsletter while you're there. The way in is the way out. Change the way you talk to yourself and you change your expectation. Change your expectation and you change your reality. Inner Talk does just that. Here's some of what one customer had to say about the power they gained as a result of using Inner Talk. Lisa wrote, To all you skeptics, these subliminal programs actually work. This past Christmas, I gifted myself the following programs. Prosperity, money management, and luck. I listened to the Prosperity and Money Management CDs on alternate days on continuous loop at home and while sleeping. The Lux CD I listen to every day at home, also on continuous loop. This is what has happened so far. I've had so many opportunities to work overtime. My union representative has told me that I was due two years back wages for shift differential slash premium that was due to me. I did not know I was due this. I have paid off my last debt. I am debt free. I have been consistently entering contests and sweepstakes. I have won a dinner for two at a casino hotel in Atlantic City, won a $100 gift card to The Gap, won $500 cash in a Pennsylvania lottery scratch-off ticket. I seem to get parking spaces when I need them, and I seem to always get good deals on things that I purchase. It does not matter what the item is. Oh, the UPS man just delivered a box of toys. I don't remember what contest I entered, but my nephew will get the toys for his birthday this summer. Please feel free to share my testimony. When you are ready to make changes in your life, Inner Talk awaits you. Whether you desire to increase prosperity, lose weight, end some addiction, improve your relationships, develop new skill sets, and so forth, Inner Talk is there to serve you. 
check out over 300 titles today by going to innertalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K dot com. Whether you catch our show on CTR or 12radio.com or bto.net and or bbs.com, we want you to know that we appreciate you. Thank you for listening. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're chatting with Terry McBride about his inspiring book, The Hell I Can't. Now, Terry, we just played your second musical choice, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother, by Neil Diamond, one of my favorites. Tell us, how and why is this music meaningful to you, sir? Towards the end of, uh, you know, and I don't think we've ever told anybody yet that I'm perfectly healthy. I have no limitations. <laughs> towards towards the end, I still had the infection. I still, it, it wasn't as gruesome as those first two and a half years. Uh, it had sort of settled down where I'd just have a surgery every once in a while. 
But I knew that part of the reason for me having this surgery and you discovering the tools of, of how to get out of it was that I was going to teach. And I was, I, I, I remember when that song became what it is to me. I was sitting on the floor. The kids were in bed. My wife was asleep. And I was reviewing, you know, my life. That what you talk about consistently, going inside. What's going on? And that song came on the radio. And I thought, and I, and what I, what I got was, this is why this is happening, Terry. You are going to take these simple, powerful teachings to the world. And that was that was the second piece of me realizing I was going to be a teacher. The first one, and I talk about it in the book, was screaming my, screaming into a pillow one night in the hospital, screaming over and over. Nobody deserves to hurt this much. And that was, I think, the first step of me saying, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to beat this, and I'm going to teach other people. And uh, and that, you, he ain't heavy. I still listen to it, and and it inspires me. I mean, I'm 70 years old, I'm still traveling all around the country and schlepping my bags. <laughs> you know how that is. And and that song reminds me, you know, I'm, I, I've dedicated my life to serve, like you have. Help people make book. the difference. Make pe- help people make the difference in their life that they dream that they could make. Your book is a very powerful, very moving book. Uh, and, and I and I guess you know, in chapter thirteen, you talk about suffering as a way of life. But what, where I want to go to first on this this chapter is, you had a belief, and and it was a pretty good belief, you know, in in God. But you also had some counseling, you know, you 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 had. Uh, you had a a reverend gene that uh that what should i say uh, sometimes carried a whip and sometimes a carrot tell us about that so reverend gene showed up one day he introduced himself his job was an outreach minister from one of the fundamental churches in downtown seattle and he asked if it would be okay <laughs> he said would it be okay if we prayed for you we got a big prayer group and i said you bet and I tell people in my workshop, he could have come in in a, a scary mask, dressed in a skirt, saying, you want me to do some juju for your help? And I probably <laughs> said yes. Because I, I knew by then there was something out there we could tap into. I wasn't exactly sure what that was called or how to tap into it, but I, I knew it was there. Right. Well, over the next year, he really encouraged, because the only, see, I didn't know about these self-help books. I didn't know about subliminal tapes. I didn't know about work like yours. It was out there or unity, or science of mind, or those kinds of principles, or, you know, Joseph Murphy, the magic of the empire. I didn't know that. But there was an old book written a couple thousand years ago that said all things are possible if you believe they are. Whatever you ask for in prayer, believing you shall have it, you shall have it. The faith of a mustard seed. And And what I was doing was thinking, how can I... Maybe that's what these books about choices they're talking about, that if I take charge of my beliefs, that my beliefs might. And so Reverend Gene helped me bridge some spiritual stuff, although he was not metaphysical. 
And then I talk about the day, you know, now, as this whole journey is going on, because in the beginning, everybody was with me. Don't give up. Don't give up. But after the 9th, 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th surgeries, everybody's falling off. See, that's one of the one of the risks of not owning that I am the creator of my life is that when somebody fails enough times, then the possibility, you know, that old race consciousness comes in that says, well, perhaps God has a bigger plan for you than you just getting what you want. Perhaps this is some karmic debt you're working off, this idea of living in a body that doesn't work. Perhaps this is some sacred contract that you're supposed to have a colostomy. And so that's what happened to Gene. He prayed and prayed and prayed, and then one day he came in. He said, you know, I've been praying for you for a whole year, and nothing's happened. And last night I was praying, and God came to me and gave me a vision. And he meant it. He'd seen a vision. It was all over this guy. He was not somebody to talk about a mystical experience. I saw God last night, and he told me his plan for you. And as soon as he said that, a wall went up. I was used to God's plan. How come my dad was killed in the war? God's plan. Anyway, and I said, what is God's plan for me? And he said, you're going to spend the rest of your life in a wheelchair. And God's going to use you to show people who are broken in body that they can be whole in spirit, even though their body's broken. And I said, I don't want to do that. I'm going to get well. And he said, I, Terry, I'm not talking about your will. I'm talking about God's will. These are the kinds of issues that come in when one is looking at taking responsibility for their lives. If they go out and use this stuff and it happens right away, thank you, God. But if they try and fail and try and fail and try and fail, they begin to doubt their own priorities, their own aspirations. And they start to, again, they've been trained to look outside for the answers. And if we look outside after we fail enough times, what we get is you need to give up your dreams. They don't say it like that. They say, oh, they, you, you need to give up this thing for for a grander scheme. And and that's the same kind of stuff. Anyway, so th- we had a big row. And as it says in the book, there was one phrase, there was a quote in there, I think it's the book of John. It says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who knowing himself to be in the form of God, thought it not robbery to stand equal with God. Now, I had no idea what that meant. You know, I'm in my 20s. But I thought maybe that's what these self-help books are talking about when they say the mind of God is my mind, that when I decide something, then the universe backs me up. That's what it means by as I believe, so shall it be done. So I'm trying to merge those together. So Gene's standing there, and I said, I read him that quote out of the King James Version. Let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus, who knowing himself to be in the form of God, thought it not robbery to stand equal with God. He jumped out of his chair and said, who do you think you are? And stormed out of my room. (laughs) Next day, he comes in with his Bible and says, read this. And I go to the same quote, and it says, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, knew that equality with God was not a thing to be grasped. Completely opposite from my King James Version, he had the American Standard Version. And I said, how can this be? They're absolutely opposite. And he looked at me with a straight face and said, your Bible is wrong. And it was like, well, crap. Pardon me, but that's my mind. What What am I supposed to do? I don't even know which Bible is right. How am I supposed to know what to do? And that's when I 
began to think, you need to start going within, Terry. Just, just like the email that we talked about earlier, when she said, you, you have to find your own questions to answer. You have to begin to listen to your own counsel. You have to begin to become your own teacher. Because that's where the, I think that's where the road to freedom is. That idea of starting first with, I'm not my stuff, and then beginning to go inside. Certainly there's great information out there. Certainly there's great vehicles to assist us, like all of your tapes, my, my program, my book, your books. But the real key is to know the truth. You're not your stuff, and that will set you free. And what does it set you free of? The lie of human limitations. Terry, let me ask you this. One of the things that becomes very clear in reading your book is that you assembled an entire regime, if you will, of tools and techniques to empower your own healing. And now, and, and so that everybody understands and knows, I mean, you are very healthy. You're out on the road, like you say. You're traveling. You're speaking. Um, you know, we've, we've seen a video in the chat room. So, you know, all of these prognoses that supposedly were, were supposed to, uh, telling us what your future was going to be like, they're all false to fact. That's not who you are. So we've got all that. Um, and, and, and I understand how you've integrated the spiritual and you've integrated allopathic, but you use some other techniques. I'd like you to just kind of share everything that you brought together. And if you found some more beneficial than others, you know, give us some emphasis on that. When I look at the overall of, of what I got out, out of that whole ordeal and how I began to put it together so that I could have uh, some control over my mind, because I saw that as the key, it was already done as I believe. See, that's, again, that's why I, I just love your teachings, because you always start from, hey, look. This is who you are, and it's all your consciousness is already creating your consciousness. And right. so the question becomes, what would you like your consciousness to be? Which starts with the question, what is your focus? Where Your mind is going to be busy all the time, and it's going to be busy based on what it's been programmed to be busy on. And you're real clear about that. And so the choice we have is, what do you want to program it to be busy on? What do you want it to focus on? Where, where, When you wake up, how would you like to wake up in the morning? How would you like to go to bed at night? When you look in the mirror, how would you like to feel about yourself? It isn't just about make more money or get a better car. It's like quality of life. How do you want to relate to your children? How do you want to relate to yourself? How do you want, you know, it's just that whole thing. So the first thing I got was I need the first half of the book is the hell I can't. And what I began to realize as I studied writings like yours was if I'm holding in my mind the hell I can't as my mantra, then I have to have in my day something in my face so I can respond with my mantra. So what I end up doing is consistently dealing with my disease. And I learned how to deal with my disease better, but I still had my disease. And then it came to me, I need to begin to move towards health. 
instead of just learning how to deal with my disease. And so that's why I teach people focus. What is it you want? What's next for you? Go inside. Same thing you do. Take a list, sheet of paper. Where do you think you might need to work? Go inside and ask these questions. So that's you, you start to choose your focus. The next thing I was looking at was what was I doing all day long? I was thinking the supposedly nice thoughts. I was thinking the possibility, but I was laying in my bed complaining, ain't it awful? And so I need to begin to follow through with action. Uh, Norman Diage in his book, The Brain That Changes Itself, he, throughout the various studies he's reviewing, it, the importance of action in reprogramming our subconscious mind. My subconscious mind is running my whole show, and, it's, and like you say, it's making decisions before I ever have a chance to even think about it. Yep. Then how do I reprogram it? Well, the first thing is focus. What do I want to reprogram next? What do I need to do to reprogram it? Do I need to just sit in bed and say I'm healthy, I'm vital? Well, if I, Or do I need to get up and walk down the hall? Do I need to begin to get up and scrub my teeth? Do I need to wash my face and shave before visitors come? Do I need to begin to act like I'm healthy? Then once I set, teach people how to figure out their action, that's when I think, uh, from my perspective, when I teach them, now you know what you need to do as far as your subliminal tapes, as far as your affirmations, it's about, uh, as far as your own self-talk. It's much easier to figure out what you need to do in that area of the chatter that's going inside your mind once you're clear on your focus and what you think you need to do. Then once you get all those together, you know, this is, uh, you know, what I call in my trainings, integrating the tools of choice, then it's easy to bring in the visualization part. Uh, Because all you have to do is go vividly imagine listening to these, uh, you know, subliminal tapes, following through your action. You just vividly imagine what you got down on paper. And what happens as you vividly imagine that over time, the mind begins to think, wow, I I think this is going to come true. And so that's, if you will, that's a a simplistic version of moving through the tools of choice. Not going to let you up on that one. You've got a fifth tool, and I think it's a very important tool. I'm I'm going to just straight out ask you about that. Your fifth tool is gratitude. Feeling thankful. Yeah. Yes. How important is that tool? I found that, you know, because I'm reading lots of different books while I'm sick. uh, And and what I found was there was this common thing that says give thanks first. You know, be thankful first, gratitude. What, What I was taught as I was growing up was to give thanks. And I think that comes from our Western culture, you know, the, how the church was that there's a God out there, and if you're not giving thanks first, this God will get irritable and not follow, you know, support you. Or if you're not giving God money, God won't give back, you know, that kind of thing. Right. That so you got you got to bribe God with your Thanksgiving or Good the, so, nonsense, uh huh. Let's make a yeah. bargain. Yeah. So, but as I really began, especially as I started reading some of the Eastern mystical writings. They don't talk about giving thanks. They talk about feeling thankful. Mm -hmm. And my reasoning was, is that the mind doesn't feel thankful for something unless it's true. 
I, I might be excited, I might have anticipation, I might do all that, but it just seemed to me that Thanksgiving as a natural state for me didn't come until it was a done deal. So what I found was that if I could go, you know, do these other tools, so I knew my focus, I had my plan of action, and I was following through. I, whenever I thought about that goal, here's what I'm thinking. I've retrained that self-talk inside, and and, and then I've, I'm daydreaming it. And when I get it to a point where I go, boy, I wouldn't be a bit surprised, then go feel, Terry, go feel thankful that this is all working. And it was challenging for me to feel thankful. I'm used to giving thanks, but after a while I learned how to feel thankful. And what the feeling thankful does is it's another way of convincing the mind, well, it must be true. Otherwise, why would I be feeling thankful? So that's where we uh, integrate the tools. I think where the problem comes is people say Thanksgiving is what you need to do first. So people go and try to give be feel thankful for something they're not clear on what they want to feel thankful for they don't they don't have a game plan their self-talk tends to be totally negative so when they go to feel thankful what they find in their mind is instead of what i have now programmed to be in there about this goal and so that's why i think it's so important to use the tools in conjunction with each other you know, just uh, like I said in the email, when you couple your positive thoughts with your goal-directed action, that's when you really begin to, the unconscious mind, if you will, you know, you're the expert right. in that field, but, but the unconscious mind begins to say, you know what, This I think this is true. This isn't just hokey stuff he's saying, I, first person, present tense, stated positively. This, this is true. Look, you know, Eldon's following through. He's he's thinking these thoughts. He's got this clear on his focus. By God, I think this is true. And that's how you begin to give the a, a new program to the unconscious mind. I love it. So let's, let's recap that, or I'll recap it. That's focus, action, the mental environment, visualization and feeling thankful there are the five specific tools of what you call your tools of choice got that right right yep all right now let me ask you go ahead you want some to add the hindu traditions say that the universe is run by creative mind and each of us has a portion of this creative mind moses ban malman is a great a Hebrew scholar in the 13th century wrote a book called The Guide for the Perplexed, and he said, what is meant by made in God's image is it's an intellectual likeness. That's where this, the mind of God is my mind, that's where the Hindus are saying, the universe is run by creative mind, and you have a portion of this creative mind. And they say, the creative mind is made up of your personal will and your imagination. Now, that's just how they're saying it. But the personal will can be taken control of by focus, actions, and thoughts. And then when you couple that with your imagination, what you have based on the Hindu tradition is taking control of your creative mind. And in many ways, if I may, it's a much preferred vision, if you will, than that of the anthropomorphic deity on his throne, meeting out uh, punishment, etc. Yeah. Let, let me ask you, well, I'm not going to have time to ask you this. I'll set it up for after the break, okay? Okay. Yeah. Uh, 
there's a lot of, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and there's a lot of conversation about visualization and prayer and bringing these things all together. And I know you know the answer to this, so it'll be an easy question, but I'll have you flesh it out as well. There are really two kinds of prominent prayer today. One is the petitioning prayer. You know, please may I have this. Will you give this to me? Will you help me out here? You know, watch over. Please do this. Please do that. The other is the affirming prayer. That that prayer that says, I am young, fit, and healthy, instead of please help me be young, fit, and healthy. Um, and, you know... Um, Theologians, I believe, would tend to view these two forms of prayer entirely differently depending upon the faith they come from. I'm going to ask you when we come back from the break, your view on that, your experience with that, and and I'll have you flesh that out for us. We hope you're enjoying our show today. The book, and it's a great one, is The Hell I Can't. And I, I love that title, The Hell I Can't. We'll be right back after paying some bills. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. The changes I've seen in my life are truly a blessing. Intertalk has given me the tools to repair deep-seated beliefs that constantly worked against me. I find myself happier and more successful since I've used the Intertalk programs. I encourage you to discover the power of your beliefs by visiting www.intertalk.com and selecting your title for change. There's a hidden secret in the Northwest. Well, it's not really a secret, but it's not very well known either. Elden and Ravinder discovered the neatest bookstore in Sandpoint, Idaho. The store is called Zero Point Crystal. And when you enter the premises, you face a six-foot-tall quartz crystal that gives off an unbelievable radiance. Books, music, gemstones, lapidary specialties, singing bowls from Tibet, essential oils, and so much more fill this special sanctuary. If you're in the area, be sure to check them out. If not, visit their website at www.zeropointcrystals.com. You won't be sorry you did. The great courses cover a broad array of university-level disciplines. The lectures in each course are either 30 or 45 minutes long. By listening for less than an hour a day, you can finish even the longest course in just weeks. Browse our catalog or website at thegreatcourses.com and imagine how much you can learn if you spent just 30 minutes a day for the next year in the best college classrooms in the world. The lecturers are university professors carefully selected by the great courses and its customers for intellectual distinction and teaching excellence.
If you haven't yet read Mind Programming, you're in for a real awakening. Like the red pill, ignore the book at your own peril. Here's what author Angelina Hart had to say about the book. Mind Programming is a brilliant expose on how we've become unconsciously enslaved to that which we haven't understood. Eldon Taylor exposes and explodes the old world view of fear and lack that has generated direct and indirect manipulation of our minds without our awareness or permission. With well-earned insight, he offers proven pathways of self-empowerment that entrain our consciousness towards the model of unity and abundance that negates the survival paradigm. In a period when fear has reached a frenzied pitch, Taylor shines a brilliant spotlight to dispel the darkness. Get your copy today at fine bookstores everywhere or online from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Books A Million. Ravinder and I love supporting causes we believe in. We both feel the pain when we see an animal abused. Call it empathy or what you will, the pain is very real. We both also celebrate with joy the wonderful stories of animal rehabilitation. Indeed, it can be goosebump time. We urge you to get involved and lend aid to your local animal shelter or in the alternative, make your donations to the Humane Society of the United States. You can read about their work and make that donation by going to www.humanesociety.org. You can make a difference, but only if you act. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jen Reich, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment. Eldon offered me the opportunity to share this poem with you. It's called Mind Over Chatter. If I say I'm going to run a mile, I most likely will go too. For usually getting started is the hardest thing to do. And this can go for anything that calls for motivation. It first begins within the mind until we find our inspiration. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now... Back to the show. Yeah. 
Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're speaking with Terry McBride about his life, work, and book, The Hell I Can't. We'll take your phone calls in this half hour, so if you have questions of our guests, either give us a call or submit your questions in our chat room. Now, Terry, we just played Magic by Olivia Newton-John. What's the story with this one? When I uh, first heard that song, plus I love the way she sang it, you know, who she is, her presence. But when I listened to the words, I mean, it was like, come take my hand, you should know me, I've always been in your mind, we can do magic. So for me, it was as if uh, the divine presence was speaking to me. Sometimes, uh, well, in the beginning, uh, it was the spiritual presence out there. It was like the universe. You know, I don't necessarily know if God's some masculine figure out there, but I I do feel that there's help that's bigger than just me, you know. That comes from when I was little, when I asked mom, where's my dad? She'd say, your father's in heaven and he'll talk to you. And so I grew up thinking you could talk to the other side. So when I first heard that, it was like it was like the angels, if you will, uh, saying, hey, take my hand. I'm with you. We can do this. Believe in yourself. You know, uh, the part that says, if your dreams survive, then destiny will arrive. So again, it spoke to hang in there. Keep going. You can do this. So it it inspires me about this marvelous journey I'm on. And once again, I'm not alone on this journey. There's an infinite power backing up my belief system. I was talking to somebody yesterday that I'm coaching on a health challenge, and I said, look, my spiritual God, whatever that would be, sort of communicates to me and says, look, you do what you think you need to do. I'll take care of whether it's enough. And so that's kind of the relationship I have with this. uh, You know, what your bride was talking about when she said, when she referenced that God helps those who help themselves. That idea that if I do my part, then this infinite power will also be appropriate. Okay, so before the break, I asked you about petition versus affirmation. It's a good place to just bring that in. Flesh out the two for us and you know tell me uh, what did you use and how did it work and and what do you think is what we should be doing (laughs) Uh, first of all I think prayer ultimately is a way to change belief it's 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 a technique that was developed a long time ago and a lot of different uh, disciplines although the prayer takes different forms purpose of prayer is to change belief. And as you consistently say, sir, with your stuff, the proof is in the pudding. If you're praying for something over and over and it didn't happen, you might want to take a look at how you're doing prayer. So whether one does the petition prayer or the the more affirmative prayer, from my perspective, it depends on where they were. In the beginning, I didn't know I had this power. I didn't know it responded with mechanical regularity to my thought. So a lot of my prayers were, please help me tonight. Please, you know, be with me. When I was a little boy and I would get scared, I would go pretend I could talk to my father, my dead, my real father who had died, and say, help me, I'm scared. And I felt as if there was a presence there. 
Now, as Bernie Siegel says in his work, is it really something out there, or is it something within me projecting out there so I can identify with it? I don't care. So sometimes when I was beginning, it was the petition. Please help me. I'm doing everything I can. Give me a sign. You let me know. And a song would show up on the radio. A flower would all of a sudden be in bloom. A child would smile. So sometimes it was petition. Sometimes it was more affirmative. I'm on track and I know what I'm doing. But the, the real proof is how does it make you feel when the prayer is over? And I think that as one moves through and takes more and more responsibility for their life, uh, I have less and less, please help me, and more and more, I'm doing what I need to do, and I know the universe backs me up. You know, that so. is the co-creative aspect of it. The petition denies that co-creative power, doesn't it, Terry? Well, it, 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 it might for you and I at our level. But when I was first starting alone, 23, oh, sure. 24, and they were taking me apart a piece of the time, and, and I had no idea who I was or what power I might hold, then the petition allowed me to go to sleep and say, okay, I'm not alone. God's going to help me on this. So it's a dance. And I think as one moves through, as I mentioned earlier, the first part of my dance was fighting the disease. Sometimes the first step in saying yes is to say no. Yeah. But if one just stays there in just petition, in just saying no, they they don't experience this spiritual growth that you talk about that that has happened to you, that has happened to me. I think how yeah. Jesus used prayer might be a totally different than how I might have used it at twenty three. So well, you know, the, we we are raised, I and mean, I, I can remember, I mean, every night, you know, I'd kneel down by my bed, and now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. We are taught to ask for help. We are taught, you know, to um, turn things over to the authority, to trust in uh, our elders, to, you know, and in that sense, you know, we kind of are taught to be victims. We're taught that, you know, we're just, you know, we go through life and when we need something, someone else will provide it for us. And, and that kind of, it, it, it disempowers us, but at the same time, it, it also creates this fictional idea in our mind that I think gives rise to, uh, a great deal of the misunderstandings in the world about what spirituality uh, is and is supposed to be. Uh, you know, but bring it just full back. It, it is my view for what it's worth that uh, if I'm going to be a co-creator, I'm going to have to affirm. And if I'm not affirming, then... Uh, I'm turning it over to somebody else. And there's a time and a place, as you say, a dance. Uh, to me, it is when I'm all said and done with my affirmations, it is this or something better according to thy perfect will, whatever that might mean. The dance. Now, 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 see that right there. When I was, so now I'm about 25. By the time Gene comes in, this minister of 30 years, mm -hmm. he's had a vision. Remember I said, looking at him, it, there was no mistake that he'd had his first mystical experience, and he mm -hmm. talked to God in his mind, and he said, God's plan for you 
is to live in a wheelchair, but you'll serve humanity by doing that. Now, I didn't know I was going to be a teacher. I didn't know about the difference I wanted to make or have made. Uh, all I knew was I was 25, and I didn't want to live in a wheelchair and crap in a plastic bag. And when I told him that, he said, I'm not talking about your will. I'm talking about God's will. Mm-hmm. So at that time, there is no way I would have done a prayer that said, I am going to be perfectly healthy or something better. Because in my mind, if I opened it up to something better, I might open it up to God has a bigger plan for me than me just getting well. And I was unwilling to give any of that control to anything other than me. Very interesting point. You know, and it also speaks to your character because, you know, the data shows us. uh, FMRI, we watch the brain lifetime. And in the presence of an authority, particularly a cleric or a physician, they tell you something. Um, most human beings, the areas of the brain that discriminate, that, that give us the power to reject what might be being told us, uh, shuts down. We just simply, uh, we just simply lose that ability to discriminate. So not only did you somehow maintain your, uh, what shall we say, stubbornness, unwillingness to give in to all these folks, but you did so in the presence of an authority. Let me ask you, though, in your book you talk about the importance of a statement of being. And, uh, you know, in the context of what we're talking about, affirmations, petitions, what what exactly do you mean by a statement of being? What... Um, I, 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 my first book was Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz, who essentially yeah, yeah. said, you, you know, you've got a self-image and everything, your, all your abilities, everything is always consistent with your self-image. So he's talking about our unconscious mind, subconscious mm-hmm. mind. Mm-hmm. This, you, whatever's in there, that's what's going on. And then he said, you have the ability to change what's in your mind. Mm-hmm. And that opened up the possibility, oh, my God, if I can change my mind and my abilities are consistent with my mind, perhaps that is the road that's going to allow me to, you know, get well. And uh, and so what, what, what I found was I, I was real confused about how I was approaching my life. I mean, one day I'd be on track, the next day I'd be, you know, uh, all messed up with the latest prognosis. And so what I decided was I need to write uh, a statement that represents this is how I'm going to hold my life. I didn't have your your tapes. I didn't have your CDs, you know. Uh, so what? But what I wrote was... Uh, As I move into this time of creation, I feel the power of something bigger than me moving with me, supporting and empowering me. I know that all things are possible, and as I explore how I am going to create the healing I desire, I will notice this support and acknowledge it. I do not have to figure it out all at once. All I have to do is begin right where I am and consciously choose to move towards what I want. My life is not one problem after another. It is right now a time of discovery and creation. And out of my own being, I feel the joy and freedom that comes with knowing I can create reality. What that was, uh, 
was I, pr- I printed it out and I carried with me. And whenever I'd get upset with, oh, my God, oh God I'd read it because it didn't say I was healthy. It, it allowed me. It's like it, in one of your tapes, you start with I'm, I'm be- something like I'm beginning to believe in the possibility of this. Mm-hmm. You don't start off with I am now and this is just you, you open it up with I'm beginning to believe that there's a possibility. You you allow them do you see what I'm talking about? The possibility. And that, I if do. you look at this one, as I move into this time of creation, I feel the power of something bigger than me moving with me, supporting and empowering me. What was that about? I'm not alone. In this great journey, I'm not alone. Number two, I know that all things are possible. It was, I'm trying to put that in there just as a backdrop. And then, and, and as I explore how I'm going to do this, I will notice support. So all of it was, in the beginning, supporting me in the process of discovering. And that's why I wrote it. Now, your statement of being, for all intent and purposes, to me, I read it. It's on page 267. Everybody out there has got a copy of this book. Uh, It it is an affirmation. Uh, It is a prayer. And according to your definition, the purpose of the prayer is indeed to change your belief. Yes. And yet contained within it is a line that I'm going to ask you to explain. The line is, my life is not one problem after another. Now, there are many people that would say, hey, wait a minute, that's a negative. You can't put those kinds of negatives on. You can't say, I don't smoke. That's a negative. You know, yes. uh, negatives, you know, the, the, the mind just can't discern, you know, the, it, it's going to deal with a negative and create that negative. I say BS to that. But what say you? I, I understand what they're saying when they say the mind does not get when you say don't do this. It doesn't get the negatives. I, you know, I'm a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming. They talk about right. that stuff. Right. But you right. got I wrote this when I was 24, 25. And what was going on as I'm looking at this is I got this chatter inside that's going, your mind is one problem after another. It may not have languaged it like that, but, you know, I'm already 10, 15 surgeries in there, 10 or 12 surgeries into this. And so, and they're telling me this is going to go on forever. This is a chronic, you have a chronic infection. Chronic means always reoccurring, always present. It's never Mm going to go away. And so... As I'm writing this, I got this mental chatter in my mind that's going, and so I just wanted to make a definite statement. My life is not one problem after another. Get this. And then right behind it. So that's why I I languaged it that way. How many cigarettes a day do you use? How many what? Cigarettes a day. How many cigarettes? Uh Uh-huh. I don't smoke. Oh, wait a minute. What did you just say? Oh, I don't smoke? You just said I don't smoke. You see, yeah. that's my issue with a lot of these yes, so-called experts out there. Because what I want is my stream of consciousness to support the being I want to be. And if I'm yeah. a non-smoker and you ask me about my cigarette use, what am I going to say? I don't smoke. So when somebody says, don't use these things, I just laugh at them. I think your statement at 25, at 55, at 95, 
my life is not one problem after another is a positive statement. It yes. acknowledges that we all together too often can look at situations in our life as problems. And maybe we just, you know, reframe it some and see it as an opportunity. But the fact of the matter is I don't need to see it as a problem. That is a choice I make. My mm -hmm. perception is what's at issue here. Not what's going on in the real world, because this line doesn't say, um, I have not had uh, 34 surgeries. It's not a denial line, but it is a line that says, my perception refuses to see a problem. So... That, that was my question, and I decided that I would just flesh that one out. <laughs> what, Eldon, what you have is you, you learned this stuff from the bottom down, from the bottom up. You didn't start at the top and read a few books and get it. You, you, you learned it from the bottom and then moved up. You had some ideas. You started to formulate those ideas. You put it out there. You did your work in the prison. You got, you went, got outside people to come in and say, is this any good? And so, what I love about your stuff is you know how to grow corn with these tools. This isn't from the top of the ladder looking down. You That's that allowing people to be wherever they are. And if you need to make a statement that means something to you that says, you know, my life is not one, then you do that. You know, that's, again, what, what I love about how you approach this is that you're already magnificent. You can figure this out. You can become your own teacher. Here is here is some guidelines to to begin to set you up to to have inner talk different. And when you do that, what you do is you begin to take charge of your life. You take charge of your belief. You take charge of your consciousness. Which is what you're teaching, and what you know. What I think you know. We all would like to do is facilitate others in empowering themselves not to empower them per se as you said you know about the buddha um as siddhartha said to the buddha in the book by that same name herman hess's uh, pulitzer prize winner um you know i don't want to learn about uh enlightenment i want to be enlightened yeah all yeah. right you know you got a coaching program terry we got a few minutes left tell us about it what I found when I was, because I've been teaching and coaching people for, you know, 40 years. And what I found was I, when I'm coaching them and talking to them, they, uh, oh, they're all excited. But when I go away, they, like you said, once you get a belief system, you tend to seek out an environment that supports that current belief system. And yeah. so if you don't, uh, if you don't get some system to assist you to continue in this path you're on, uh, it can be very challenging to just continue to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. And so what I did was write a training. It's called Everybody Wins. And I wrote it mm, almost 30 years ago. And then I just redid it uh, a year and a half ago and put it all on the Internet. And what it is, it's nine individual lessons. It's me talking for a half hour. You download the MP3 file. And then you listen to that every day while you're doing something else. You listen on earphones while you're exercising, while you're walking. And it's me talking about this philosophy you and I have been exploring. But it takes it one step at a time. So you listen, and then right at the end it says, for 10 minutes right now, go do this. And the action step is what we've been referring to. They're going inside. 
They're asking themselves, what do I think about it? What do, how do I hold it? What, do, what does this mean for me? And so the first three lessons set them up. First one's called uh, finding more joy in your now. How do you find joy? Second one's called in consciousness creates reality. And the uh, third one's running out of called, time, Terry, and I want you to give everybody your website and tell them where they can get the book real quickly. Yeah, about 30 you seconds. can go, go to my website, terrymcbride.net. It's also on Kindle. You can go to Amazon. So, and uh, there's also a huge explanation about the Everybody Wins program and a video on it. Eldon, I want to acknowledge you and Ravender for what you're doing. You really have the tools that allow people to start right where they are and make a difference in the quality of their life, and I acknowledge you for that. Oh, thank you very much, Terry. All right. The book, The Hell I Can't. It's a great book. The website, terrymcbride.net. Don't miss it. Well, we've come to the end of another hour another episode of provocative enlightenment i want to thank our guest terry and all of you for joining us today i hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week same time and same place and do tell your friends let's have them join us as well and remember if you have comments on the show do please let us know okay until next time wherever you are in the world remember believing in yourself always matters Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.